This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your tablet, smartphone, and desktop. Support the show and get a free audiobook of your choice by visiting audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Follow Standard Orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take us in. Hi, sir. Is the word of Landru. Joy to you, friends. Welcome to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated show about the original Star Trek series. This is a show where we dive into the characters, concepts, cliches, and other things that don't start with C about the original series. My name is Drew, or Landru. I'm the TOS editor for the network. With me today is my co-host Mike from Commentary Trek Stars. Hey, how's it going? It's good. It's good. Good. So today we're going to continue our discussion, uh, our Mike's lecture on aspect ratios in these Star Trek films. Yeah, you know, I hope that people find this as interesting as I do. Um, I don't know why I'm obsessed with aspect ratios. It's just one of those things, you know? So last week you left us with a teaser that the aspect ratios for Star Trek VI are out of whack. Yeah, you know, we kind of laid the groundwork with all that stuff, and, and, you know, we were talking about how all uh, up until now it's all been fairly straightforward, you know, that show was one three three to one and the movies were two three nine to one and that's just kind of how things are that's how how it worked however star trek six is a whole other beast entirely and a lot of that has to do with i think sort of misperceptions and and everything and, and just information not not getting out there and it all started with the fact that this was the first Star Trek movie to be shot, the only Star Trek movie to be shot in Super 35. Now, Super 35? Super 35, which despite what the, the, the name would lead you to believe, is actually not nearly as good as plain old regular 35. What? <laughs> it's actually a lot worse, <laughs> especially back in 1991. Huh. Now, is that why it looks so? Why they had to do so much uh, digital noise reduction on the Blu-ray so that it looks like moving Picasso paintings? Um, well, yes and no. Yes, in that it would be substantially grainier. No, in that they overcompensated in a big bad way. Still, yes. not nearly as bad as the Star Trek IV Blu-ray, where like there's that infamous screen cap where uh, there's so much DNR that. At one point when they're on Vulcan, there's like a guy in the background that walks by, walks behind Chekhov. Mm-hmm. And if you look, you can, there's actually a screen cap in there where they, they got, it got confused. The algorithm or whatever got confused and thought that the guy was noise. And there's one frame where you can see that there's like a chunk missing from Chekhov's face. <laughs> like I've not it's literally seen this. like someone took a bite out of his cheek. It is the worst. Jeez. Oh, that movie has the worst transfer. It's so bad. Oh. But Star Trek 6 is bad too, but not nearly as bad as as uh some stuff. But to me it doesn't make any difference cuz I don't watch the Blu-ray of Star Trek 6. But we'll get into that. <laughs> okay. So go going back to the Super 35. Now, okay. All of the other movies were shot in anamorphic widescreen, where basically what that means is you've got your your film frame, 
which with the soundtrack, the, the film frame has an aspect ratio of about 1.2 to 1. And then they have an anamorphic lens on it, which is basically an oval-shaped lens, which takes the, the image and stretches it out, or takes the information which it's filming and squeezes it onto the film. So if right. you look at an actual piece of uh, anamorphic film, everyone is squished together and they're all you know really thin and tall but then when you project it back through an anamorphic lens onto the screen it stretches it out to fill that screen you know the 2.39 to 1 screen this is great because you're basically allowing for a full use of the frame and yet you don't need to have a different type of film like 70 millimeter mm -hmm. and and the image quality is is fantastic and everything like that however it's not as easy to shoot, you know, that it takes a lot more care. The lenses are a lot larger and heavier, and uh, it requires a lot more light since the, the lenses are so big. It's basically going through like twice as much glass and everything like that. Mm. So in the 80s, someone developed a, a new format, which they called Super 35, where basically they said, hey, guys, you know, if you look at a piece of film, you've got the perforations on either side and then the picture information going down the center. And along the left side of the, the film, there's a little space in between the perforations and the picture, which is used for the soundtrack. You put the soundtrack there. And, okay. and when they're shooting, they keep that in mind. And they don't shoot in that space so that they can throw the soundtrack in that area and then it's all good, right? It's worked for years. But they're like, you know, if we get rid of that soundtrack, then we have that much more space on the film, and we can make the image that much larger. And then what we could do is basically letterbox it and blow it up. On the film. Letterbox it on the film. Blow it up to 2.39 to 1, and then we don't need to use, you know, those those heavy and expensive lenses. You know, we don't need as much light, and it's a lot easier to shoot. Okay. The, this is called Super 35. Uh, you know, one of the big proponents of Super 35 was James Cameron. As soon as mm -hmm. he found out about this, he was just like, awesome, because he hated anamorphic because of the uh, artifacts which it created. And uh, he desperately wanted to shoot Aliens on this format. But at that time, the studio was like, this is brand new. We don't know. And, and, and you know, it's just too new. You can't do it. But every movie that he, he had shot since then, from The Abyss all the way up through Titanic, he used Super 35. Hmm. James Cameron is a genius and obviously knows exactly what he's doing and was able to create, you know, wonderful-looking images from that. Lots of people didn't know how to do that. And you could tell the image was really grainy because it's smaller to begin with. And then in the blow-up process, you lose two generations. So the quality is just degraded and degraded. And what it creates is a super grainy image. Okay. So for whatever reason, it was decided to shoot Star Trek VI in this format. The one advantage to that is since you're essentially letterboxing the image, you've got all this extra space on the top and bottom, which isn't being used, mm -hmm. but which you can use if you want. And when it was released on Laserdisc, letterboxed, people were complaining because 
it wasn't 2.39 to 1. It was closer to 2 to 1. There was a lot more picture on the top and bottom of the screen. It, mm -hmm. it also wasn't centered properly, and that was annoying as hell. you know. And, and there were a lot of people, <laughs> myself included, who were like, oh, my God, they messed it up. Look at this. You know, we talked last week about how sometimes on LaserDisc they would blow the image up slightly to... Um, just because it was too small and it's like here they're doing this but even more so and it's like oh man how much picture are we losing on these sides it's terrible it's terrible oh my god hopefully they fix this for the dvd when the dvd comes out mm -hmm. and they released the director's edition dvd and it was the same thing and it's like huh. what what's what's going on oh my god how did you make this mistake again you made a brand new transfer what is going on here and at this point, the internet existed, you know? So, <laughs> so people started. Then we found out. <laughs> so people started, you know, contacting. I, I think it was actually a friend of mine, um, Mike Cote, who he writes for the Digital Bits now. I believe he was the one mm -hmm. who, who contacted Nicholas Meyer and said, Hey, man, what's going on? And Nicholas Meyer was like, Look, yeah, oh, I did that. What I did was I opened it up because, look, it's a different format. When you're watching in the theater, it's one thing. When you're watching on home video, you got those black bars. We had all this extra space, so we're like, well, let's just open it up a little bit and put some picture in that space instead of some black bars. And it's fine, and it's different, and I like it better this way. And what do you, you know, come, come on, you cut me some slack, you know? This is <laughs> just what I think is better, and it's my movie, so I'm going to do this because I want to do it. Right. So then did that make that okay? To me, yeah. I'm like, that. okay, cool. Because before I thought someone botched it. But now it's like, well, this is how the filmmaker wants you to watch the movie. He thinks that this is the better way to do it. Would I do mm -hmm. that? No. But it's not my movie. It's Nicholas Meyer's movie. And, and he wants you to watch it in a certain way. I mean, you know, I was talking last week about how you have that, 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 that box and, and you can do whatever you want inside that box. And he was like, I want to make my box a little bigger. All right. Yeah. Fine. I'm totally accepting of that. And that was perfectly fine with me. Everyone else, not so much. <laughs> this isn't the way that it was in the theater. This isn't the way that I saw it back in the day. And it no, no, this, this is the kind of stuff that I say, so let's not mock it too much. Okay, all right. And I can understand saying, like, well, I want it to be the way that it was in the theater for historical purposes. I'm, yes. I totally understand that and agree with it. And and that's, you know, why I'm glad that the, the Blu-ray disc, which I never watch, exists, so that you can see the original theatrical cut in the original aspect ratio of 2.39 to 1. The original, just, we'll call it the original theatrical aspect ratio. Right. Then there's the original filmed aspect ratio. Right, right. And, and, and you know, there, there is a difference there. And it, it should be noted that almost every movie and TV show now these days, unless you're shooting an anamorphic, you're shooting more than you're supposed to see. And I don't think that you should see the full thing which is shot. I think that you, you know, because they composed it for a certain aspect ratio. Mm -hmm. And the aspect ratio, you know, for scope movies in these movies is 2.39 to 1. But I would argue that's not true of Star Trek VI. I would argue that 2.39 to 1 is no more valid than 2 to 1. Because 
I think that the real aspect ratio of Star Trek VI, the true original aspect ratio, if you want to play that game, is 2.2 to 1, which falls very nicely in between 2.39 and 2. It's like literally halfway in between. <laughs> and because of that, I don't think that the 2.39 to 1 is any more or less valid than the 2 to 1 version. Now, why do I think 2.2 to 1 is the proper aspect ratio? Because that was the aspect ratio which was used for 70 millimeter. And I know last week oh. I said, I know, I know last week I said, you know, generally speaking, it's obvious that they compose it for these ratios and that they crop it ever so slightly. So you're seeing just a little bit less picture on the 70 millimeter version. That's not the case with Star Trek VI. Since, okay. Since Star Trek VI was shot in Super 35 and they had the extra picture on the top and bottom, instead of cropping the sides, what they did was they opened it up a little bit. And when you were seeing it in 70 millimeter, you were actually seeing a little bit more picture on the top hmm. and bottom. And I can verify this. I can prove <laughs> it because I actually have a strip of film from a 70 millimeter print. See, and I was going to question this. What do you have? Like a strip? Oh, of course. I, ha I have a strip That's of film. That's awesome. Yeah, hang on. I I'll get it. I'll show it to you. Okay, there it is. There. Yes. And you can see, and I've compared this to the 2 to 1 image, and I've compared <laughs> it to the 2, 3, 9 to 1 image. And yes, there is, in fact, more picture on the top and bottom. Of, so they didn't crop the sides. They didn't crop the sides. They opened up the top and bottom. So hmm. putting all the pieces together, the fact that um, the movie was shot in Super 35, the fact that all of the video formats up until the Blu-ray, which was definitely influenced by the studio to be in 239, were in wider ratios than 239, including 70 millimeter, which is obviously considered to be the definitive format for watching a movie. And the fact that the director himself has said that, you know, sometimes it's better to be, to, to show a little bit more. I would argue that the true original aspect ratio of Star Trek VI is 2.2 to 1. And that that's what they should have released on these, um, you know, theatrical Blu-ray things where they made a big deal about experiencing it the way that it was originally in theaters, even though they remixed the sound and how all of this was really just an excuse for the fact that they didn't have a, you know, HD version of Star Trek, the motion pictures, director's cut and everything like that. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm being cynical. I don't know. No, but, no, I, I um, agree with you. Yes, I think that that's what it should be for Star Trek VI. If you disagree You've... with me, let us know. The world disagrees with me, but I'll take them on. I, I see... Now, I have this argument all the time on the original trilogy.com boards. Uh, I you know, whether <laughs> whether the, the original version is the version you saw, and I like the ability of having all the versions available. Yeah. Um, you know, so if you saw it in 70 millimeter, you should be able to see, like, Empire Strikes Back has, like, different wipes for se the 70 millimeter version than the 35 millimeter version. Yes. And so if that's the way you saw it, it should be available, you know? So that you can, at this point, we're only watching these things, or at least I am, for nostalgia. So, I mean, you should be able to see it the way that you did. Unfortunately, you know, and I do have a preservation of the, you know, video disc, full screen, 6% sped up version that made it fit within a two hour time frame. Yes. You know, that's the way I grew up with it. And that's the way, you know, 
I'm, I'm not saying that that all the home video versions like that should be preserved. You know, the ones with the 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 pan and scan of Empire, where you can see the guy get hit by the asteroid, or if you can't, you know, or if it pans over, and maybe not that. But the different theatrical versions, I can understand preserving, especially if we've had that on home video for a while. You've 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 turned me. I mean, theatrical versions make sense. I mean, I agree that, you know, you go too far. I think sort of like the cutoff that I say is like, I I want the version which the director prefers. You know, whatever the director says goes in my mind because it's it's their art. So, you know, they know best or whatever. And, or if they don't know know best, we can at least debate it. And we can say, look at this guy. Isn't he an idiot? Why, why would he think that, <laughs> that two to one is better? And then I also think that for historical purposes, the original theatrical version should be available whatever that happens to be like with with empire strikes back since it's not about preserving like what the the artist wand wants so much as what the artist originally put out there like i would love to see when the original theatrical cut of empire strikes back is released i would love it love for it to be the 70 millimeter cut mm-hmm. you know and you know that's why I, I mean I, I I'm okay with the Blu-rays of the the Star Trek movies existing being the theatrical cuts, and I'm okay with them being in you know the original aspect ratio, with the exception of Star Trek Six, which I do think you could easily make the case that 2.2 is is the way to go, and put that on there. And I also don't think you can you can play have it both ways and be like this is the original cut but we're going to remix the sound into 7.1 that's mm-hmm. that's that's cheating crap yeah you, now you now you're just yeah making stuff up but whatever to get what you want you know despite what the the filmmaker wants so anyway yeah, i would i would pay untold amounts of money for a mon i mean hell even just the mono you know, they didn't even have to remaster it. Just give me the mono mix of the original Star Wars movie, you know? And I'd be perfectly happy. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. I don't need it in Atmos where you've <laughs> faked things flying above my head. Yeah, that's why it's a little scary. I'm sure you saw this picture that uh, someone from, I think it's Lucasfilm's PR department put up on mm-hmm. Twitter where they were in the the mixing on the mixing stage with the speeder bike with, scene from yeah. return of the Jedi. Now that may just be them showing the PR person around and that's the, that's what they show in the screening room. That's the, that's I think what we decided that it's probably just that and not them redoing it in Atmos, but it could, it is possible. Okay. All right. Keep telling yourself that <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So star Trek six is the weird one. The first weird one. Um, mm-hmm. Now, before we get into the J.J. movies, which are also uh, interesting in, in a couple of different ways, let's just sort of, for the record, say that Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager were all done in one three three, just like the original series, because, yes. you know, it didn't really change much for, like, 50 years. Um, and the Next Generation movies followed the same pattern as as the original series movies, and were in two three nine, and they were all shot anamorphic. Um, Star Trek Six is the only one, the only weird one that, <laughs> where they shot it in Super Thirty Five. Um, Enterprise is interesting and kind of speaks to I don't know, but um, <laughs> Enterprise came out in two thousand and one, 
which is right when sort of the shift from standard definition to HD TV was occurring. And right. as such, there were a lot of shows which were maybe shooting in HD TV and then um, cropping the image to four by three, one, three, three to one, you know, and, and stuff like that. There was a lot of weird things like, for example, Buffy, you know, was shot in HD, but Joss Whedon very specifically composed it for 133 because he knew that's how most people would be watching it. Hmm. So, so like if you get the foreign blue, uh, DVDs of Buffy, they're actually widescreen. You're seeing more on the sides, but you're seeing a lot of stuff that you're not of supposed nothing. to be seeing. <laughs> or worse, you know, like things like uh, people moving around or, you know, weird guys holding microphones or whatever, you know. There's a <laughs> lot of that going on. But then, you know, when Angel started, which was, what, like two years later, they were running simultaneously, that he decided to shoot in, in 178 to 1, and I think that was the way it was broadcast. So hmm. Buff Buffy should be 133, and Angel should be 178, and that was a choice made by the same guy making two shows in the same continuity at the same time. It was a, it was a weird time for television. <laughs> and... uh with Voyager ending, you know, I, I know there was some talk about making that HD towards the end, and they decided to just wait and start fresh with Enterprise. And at first, they were like, "Well, we're just going to keep on doing what we're doing and make it one three three. And they got, as I understand it, like halfway through the pilot, or maybe they had shot the pilot and they were in post production or something like that. But very shortly after shooting, they were like, "No, this is dumb. It's the future." And, uh, you know, we should be doing this in HD, just straight up letterboxing it, which is what they did mm -hmm. for the standard definition broadcasts. And because of that, Enterprise is in 178 to 1. So on your new HD TVs, it will fill the screen. Unlike and the you're other. not going to see people and boom mics and stuff. Right. I think there might be some a few shots, and I don't even know if you could tell. I have no idea what they would be. But in the pilot, there are probably a few shots where if you look closely, there might be a, some, some rather tight framing because they tilt and scanned it or something like that um, in order to fit it into that ratio. But for all intents and purposes, that show is 100% 178 to 1 mm -hmm. HD. Didn't they start out on film and then switch to shooting on digital? Yeah, I think it was uh, season four when they started shooting digital. I think it was just the last year, yeah, if I'm not mistaken. So that brings us to modern Trek, J.J. Trek. Star Trek 2009 was shot, just like all the other movies, in anamorphic widescreen, except for number six. Uh, so it had the 239 aspect ratio, and it also had a lot of lens flares, now, anamorphic lens flares. Anamorphic lens flares. That's one of the things about anamorphic is there's a lot more lens flares and very distinct lens flares. They tend to oftentimes be blue and shoot across the screen, or you'll notice that they're oval. They'll be um, stretched out oval when you see them. But And then also, like, if, if you're looking at, like, a little dot of light in the background, which is out of focus, then it will be ob tall, tall, tall ovals instead of <laughs> fat ovals. I don't know. Um, oh. But you, and, and that's how you can tell whether something was shot in with anamorphic lenses or not. If you see 
uh, just like a perfectly round lens flare, then that means it was shot spherical, like a Super 35, for example, or, or the way that they shoot t television. But if you see an oval for a lens flare, that means it was shot anamorphic. Because the lenses squished it down, so it was a circle when it hit the lens, but then it stretched out, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, and it, it really annoys me because, you know, like back in the day, they would shoot some... If Even if you were shooting with anamorphic lenses, you would shoot lots of times special effects stuff on like 70 millimeter. Right. So like if you watch the motion picture, there's like effect shots which have spherical lenses or spherical um, lens flares. And it's like, that. Oh, <laughs> you're betraying the reality of your movie, but uh, it still bothers me. But, you know, what can you do? That's the nature of things. So. So that was that was Star Trek 09. You know, it 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 embraced the anamorphic format, you know, and and its imperfections more than than any other Star Trek movie ever had. And I love that. I love lens flares. I love anamorphic lens flares. To me it says big screen, cool, widescreen, awesome. Yeah. But I guess I'm the only one. So <laughs> Now into darkness. Well, we've reached the end. And probably yes. probably the weirdest of all aspect ratio cases of Star Trek movies. One of the weirdest of all aspect ratio cases in, in movie history, I'm going to say. No. no? You really don't think no. so? I, I think the Dark Knight is the weirdest aspect ratio in all of movies. No. Dark Knight Rises, I mean. Why? because Because it cuts back and forth. Like, people will be having, for example, Bane you know giving his big speech about you're all free from your arkham asylum and uh and then it cuts to jim gordon and jim gordon's in anamorphic and then it goes back to bane and he's imax and then back to gordon watching it and then back to bane and then back back and forth at least into darkness when it goes to the spoilers when it goes to the imax shots it stays like that for the entirety of that action beat and it's not just look at this look at this opening shot it's really cool and IMAXy, and then now it's not, and now it is again, and then. I I see what you're saying, you know, and and, and how it, like watching it, it, it's weird. Yeah, I I agree with that. Watching when you're actually watching the movie, the changes in aspect ratios in Dark Knight Rises might be the weirdest, but I guess what I was referring to is, what is it supposed to be, and why is it different, <laughs> and why is it different here, and why is it different again and again, and why are there like four legitimately different um, possibilities for the aspect ratio for this movie, and why are people <laughs> debating which it should be? And that's that is the weird thing. Now, like you were saying, you know, well, I mean, just just to, to back up a little bit first, and then we'll get get into the Dark Knight Rises and how that differs from Into Darkness, I guess. The decision was made for Into Darkness to shoot um, some sequences in IMAX with an mm. IMAX camera. IMAX is a 70 millimeter format, just like all the other 70 millimeter formats. However, instead of using five perforations like normal 70 millimeter, it uses 15 perforations and the film runs horizontally through the projector instead of vertically. So it's got three times the resolution of... 70, 70 millimeter. millimeter, which is approximately, let's say, six times the resolution of 35 millimeter, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. And uh, because of that, you know, it creates a very, very clean image and, and one which you can make very large on, on, on the big screen and everything. But it's also a different aspect ratio. 
IMAX screens are very tall. And when you're going to see a movie like Star Trek 09 in IMAX, they letterbox it. So you're only seeing the image in the center portion of the frame, just like on your TV at home. Because Mm -hmm. the aspect ratio of a true IMAX screen is 1.43 to 1. Which is more square than a standard definition television? Slightly less square. Less square. Almost the same, though. Really, really close to, to being the same as, as that. Now, because of that, with movies like, I think Dark Knight was the first one, and then they did it in Dark Knight Rises, and they've done it in other things. Uh, they've done it in numerous other things now. Um, you when, when you're shooting the rest of your movie, and inevitably people tend to shoot the rest of their movie in anamorphic 35 millimeter when you're cutting back and forth between these two things the aspect ratio changes so like it's filling the screen and now it's letterboxed and now it's filling the screen and now it's letterboxed and Mm -hmm. christopher nolan's approach like you were saying is pretty much like it doesn't make a difference you know the changes aren't going to be that you know people aren't going to really notice and, and you just do it and whatever abrams decided to take a much more logical approach to it, I think, in that he had sort of like set rules. Like one of the things that he said was like, I don't want these things to be changing back and forth like every shot. I think that would be distracting. When it changes, I want it to stay there for a while and then change back and stay there for a while. And sort of Mm -hmm. the parameters which he set for himself, which I think are really interesting, is if there's ever a scene inside whether it's inside the Enterprise or inside Starfleet headquarters or whatever, but an interior scene, it's shot in anamorphic 35 millimeter. Oh. And then whenever they go outside, whether it's space or just on the street, it's in IMAX. I did not notice that. Yeah, it's really cool. And now that you know that, you're going to be super annoyed by the three shots which don't follow those rules. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. And they all occur when Khan attacks the boardroom. Okay. Oh, my God. When it cuts to the helicopter thing outside. Drives me up the freaking wall. (laughs) He even went so far as there's one scene where, like, they go into the bar and Scotty's in the bar and they're following the people in. and when Which is the coolest. Yeah. The people start outside and when they're outside, it's in IMAX and as they walk indoors, the image shrinks down to two yeah very very gradually shrinks down yes it's very cool so he set up these rules and everyone's like this is amazing and i i saw it and and because of that here's the other thing since he shot it on actual imax film if you go to see it in actual imax film it's, it's a much better experience than seeing it in um digital imax or as everyone calls it limax which is basically just two digital projectors that you would find in in any other regular theater in the world these days but now there's two of them and they're whatever so it's brighter and the screen okay. is is somewhat bigger depending on which theater you're at you know if you go to Yorktown not much bigger if you go to South Barrington yeah it's a little bigger if you go to hmm. Navy Pier you're like they had us a, a they have a, a film projector sitting right there why are we watching this digital <laughs> even though it is a really big screen. So, you know, it's it's a, it's a very mixed bag with IMAX now, and I think that um, for a good portion of the time, you're getting ripped off. So with this LIMAX thing, 
since they are most of the time converting screens, which you know were plenty big and and shaped for normal movies to begin with, the the aspect ratio of line of IMAX has changed. Whereas the film aspect ratio is one point four three to one, the LIMAX ratio is one point nine to one, which is essentially the same as like a your HD TV, you know, close and, and like a standard film thing. Okay. So because of that, if you went to see it on film, you'd, you'd see more picture than if you were going to see it uh, on digital in IMAX. Hmm. So that right there creates two aspect ratios, and that's something that everyone knew going into it, and there are people who, like like me, who sought out the film presentation so that you would see the full image. The thing that people didn't realize is that when they went to the film presentation, even then it didn't fill the screen. It was only to 166 to 1 instead of 143 to 1. <laughs> and people were like, what's going on? How come it's not filling the screen? I'm, I feel ripped off. I wanted to see it fill the whole screen, and now it's not filling the whole screen. Ah. And, I'm, and I'm like, even, even I didn't even notice the first time I saw it. And then I went back and watched it. And I'm <laughs> like, yeah, it's true. There's a very, very tiny bit on the top and bottom of the screen that's a black bar. And mm -hmm. it's very, very insignificant. And uh, no one really knows why they did it. And the, the, there's only one little quote where they're like, well, the, the changing the aspect ratio from 239 and going to the IMAX, it's a pretty big jump. And we wanted to make the jump smaller. So we made slightly. it slightly smaller. So we made it 166. And it's like, that that's not a... I don't know what you thought you guys were doing, but <laughs> not a big thing. So you could say that the proper aspect ratio of Into Darkness is 239 or 1.9 or mm -hmm. 166. Or there's still the hardcores out there who are like, I want to see the full thing. It should be <laughs> 1.43 to 1, even though it was never intended to be that. That's just right. what they shot it in that format. And when it came out on home video, everyone is like, "It's what? What? It's it's only two three nine. There's they they cropped. It's like when I went to see it in the regular theater, and why isn't it opening up for IMAX? I wanted to fill my screen for <laughs> IMAX, and uh, no one knows why that is exactly. But my theory is that it was the uh, director's choice, right?" Because JJ right. had like full control over those those Blu-rays, and when um, Bad Robot, same production company and everything, was doing Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol, they did the same thing. And the reason why they did that was because that's how Brad Bird wanted it. So I'm hmm. con I'm convinced that JJ, just like Nicholas Meyer on Star Trek VI, was like, um, it's a different thing. It's a different thing, and, and, and when you're watching the movie in IMAX and it's filling you know, your entire field of view and it opens up, it's like, wow, I'm outdoors now, and now I'm indoors and it's smaller and whatever. When you're watching it at home, it's like, wow, now the picture's filling my screen across the room and now it's not, and you know that's kind mm -hmm. of weird how it's changing. But there are hardcores who are like, no, it's got to be filling the whole thing, especially since yeah. on the interactive commentary they had that. So now, yeah, but but even then, when it fills the whole screen, it's only filling to your sixteen by nine aspect ratio, which of course introduces another, another one version. <laughs> so is it two three nine 
1.78 now 1.66 or 1.43 how many is that 239 1.9 1.5 so there's <laughs> potentially five legitimate valid aspect ratios for star trek into darkness minus the sound mixes oh yeah i mean plus the sound mixes Plus all kinds of other stuff. Yeah, I can't even get into the sound mixes. That is the 3D, you know, and all of that. Oh, yeah. The 3D <laughs> version. You know, because now we have we have the Star Trek in Darkness 3D version, mm-hmm. which is now only going to be the 2.35 to 1. 3.9. Sorry. It's okay. I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> but then now that we're in... Uh, in September, we're going to get the Into Darkness Star Trek Special Edition that's going to have the changing aspect ratios, but they're not releasing it in wide, in 3D. So now we've got that. So we've got 3D, non-3D, cropped, not cropped, IMAX. Did they do IMAX regular without it being in 3D in theaters? I think there might have been a few theaters that that snuck by and were able to show it, you know, like maybe some hmm. theaters that don't have uh th- actually yeah, there was at least one theater in Canada that showed it uh after it was released. They they are, they have film only and not 3D and they showed it in in uh which is probably the way that JJ would want you to see it. And that was one of the things cuz they were like, "We're shooting in IMAX. We're really excited." And we're doing it in 3D because the studio's making us. So right. it's like the the way that he would want you to see it would be IMAX 2D where you, <laughs> but you couldn't, you know? And it's like but then he did actually say like, well, the 3D is actually pretty good. I'm okay with the 3D. It's fine. So yeah. Yeah, and now we're getting this because of fan reaction because the fans were like, how come we're not getting the IMAX version? Now they're finally giving us the IMAX version. Yes. Which seems to and be a both thing. Both versions, and we're getting them both in high definition and yeah. you know, now you can you have a choice. Unless you want to watch it in IMAX 3D in which case you're still screwed. Right. <laughs> so that's into darkness. Craziness, craziness for into darkness. But interesting stuff. I still find this stuff to be fascinating. And for those who question why didn't, you know, if you don't like the aspect ratio changing, why don't you film the whole thing in IMAX? It's because the IMAX film canisters are smaller and the cameras are louder. So you can't actually get any on-set audio. So you'd have to do the whole thing in the studio. They'd have to record it like an animated series. And nobody really wants to do that. Because it's hard to recreate your, you know, emotional scene uh, in, in the studio months later. Yeah, not to mention the fact that it would be a lot more money on film, and those cameras are huge, you know? They're like the size of refrigerators or something. I, I guess they have gotten smaller <laughs> now, but because of that, it's a lot more restrictive. You can't really do as much cool... You're not, you're not getting handheld stuff, and you're not getting the lens flares and everything. You're not getting the consistent look that you had from mm-hmm. the first movie, which was a big deal to them. They wanted to make sure that the two movies looked the same. So. so are the lens flares in the IMAX versions, like the outside stuff, are they anamorphic? Are they round? I mean, are they are they cylindrical? I think That's that I think they're cylindrical. I don't think that you see many of them. And I think the okay. most most of the ones that you do see are the the like the horizontal lines that shoot across the frame instead of like the actual circular or, or oval lens flares. 
But mm-hmm. I don't remember ever seeing like an oval lens flare on an on an IMAX shot, which makes me happy. I mean, the thing that oh my god, this is the <laughs> worst was Minority Report, which was shot in Super Thirty Five. So all the lens flares would be spherical, and there's one shot of Tom Cruise where he's like hanging on the side of a car driving up a wall or something like that and there's this beautiful lens flare which is going all the way across the screen and it's oval and it's like (laughs) you put that in digitally and you didn't even do it in the right shape shame on you ilm they've got the they've got the filter in photoshop you just click the button and you know (sighs) man and and shame on janusz kaminski and 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 uh and and Steven Spielberg for not catching that. Ugh. It drives me crazy. Okay, that's all I've got. I, that's all I, I'm I'm that's all I've got for aspect ratios for now. I'm sorry for anyone who was bored, including you, Drew. I apologize. No, no, no. This was really interesting. You you convinced me of Star Trek Six not being the correct aspect ratio on Blu-ray. Thank you. Even if that's how it was presented sometimes theatrically. Most of the time, yeah. And yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm beginning. I I see your point of view on most of this stuff. Thanks. Uh, Thanks. Uh, which which is good, and and all really anybody should ask is just to understand. So so, if if you liked this, if you think that we should do an aspect ratios show, a whole podcast, like a whole podcast on aspect ratios, you know, CTS to one, let us know. Would you listen to that? Do you think it's the worst idea ever? <laughs> and and here's another thing which I'm going to throw out there I threw this out there on my other pod, podcast but I'm going to throw it out here too um, we came up with a logo you know which yes. is the Panavision logo but it says CTS to 1 Drew designed it it looks really nice right do you think I should get that tattooed on my arm <laughs> I've never had a tattoo never really considered getting a tattoo I've always said if I were to get a tattoo it would probably be the Panavision logo just because it looks cool but this yeah. is even cooler because it's for a podcast that I may or may not do in the future. So if you think it, here, I feel special because I got a hat embroidered with our, you know, with the standard orbit logo, and you're just like, this podcast doesn't even exist yet, and I should get it tattooed on my arm. It's just a cool logo, you know, partially thanks to your design. You know, I mean, it's it's awesome. Um, so yeah, if you think. Maybe we can put up a, a picture uh, somewhere. We'll, we'll put it up on Twitter or where, wherever. Mm-hmm. If you think that we should get this image, tat- or if you think no, that not I, <laughs> not Drew, if you no. think that I should get this image tattooed on my body, let me know. I'll probably base <laughs> my decision on, on on what Twitter says. So, yes. All right. His wife has completely left this up to him. Pretty much, uh, yeah. She has no say in it. and She's like, why would you she do that? She won't hate you forever. And I'm like, I don't know. Why not? And she's like, okay. Okay. <laughs> well, it's been fun talking about aspect ratios and tattoos today, but that's just one of the Trek topics we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. <laughs> Everything that we do has to exist inside of this little box. This and, window, yeah. if you will. Right. And you can you can do whatever you want inside there, but once you step outside, 
you know, it's the real world. Earl Grey. That's, you know what I mean? And then Star Trek V is all about crapping all over the rest of the movies. That <laughs> Axanar, the official podcast. When you're in the edit bay, as soon as you put one image next to another, it's this instant gratification. It's this great creative jolt which happens every time you start juxtaposing your images and when you start seeing things fall into place, it's it's really galvanizing and it's really thrilling, actually. And I love feeding off that kind of, of energy. The Ready Room. Well, you know, time is not really linear, Char. So the monkey, he's always been there and he always will be. <laughs> I take the Janeway stance on time travel. It gives me a headache. The Orb. Batman also creates a contingency plan for all the other superheroes just in case something goes wrong with them. So, it So what does he do for the Wonder Twins, for example? Like how is he going to take them out if Um, I think he just separates them eternally so they okay. can't smack their hands together. To the journey. We have like a whole bunch of geek aliens like they're wearing their own superhero t-shirts. They're eating <laughs> hot pockets. They have headphones oh on and they're all in their own little, you know, 24th century room. But they're like, dude, dude, I totally just pwned the Voyager. Commentary, Trek stars. And underlines the goal of Prexy Gail Berman to re-energize the pipeline while revitalizing the PAR brand with top tier talents such as Abrams. I love Trace. You have They're no so... idea what you're saying at this point. Warp 5. He can put her mind at ease about these kinds of things because he can just, you know, you know how Trip is. Like, let's, you know, let's have some catfish and, like, just hang out. You know, <laughs> I was just thinking that. Continuing mission. We actually spoke with uh, CBS legal team, and uh, that was one of the things that we that we had told them is that we all of our visuals were all original scenes all of our animation was going to be original all of our music would be original so we would not be stealing any content from the original era mm -hmm. and and they liked that a lot literary tricks and i just love that because it is very true you know picard in some ways kind of has that yodaness about him where he will kind of speak in a riddle and he wants you to figure it out and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows to get in on the daily Trek talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows Podcast Directory for Xbox and Zune, or you can stream from the website. Just visit Trek.fm slash podcast to get all the links. So let's tell everyone where they can contact us if they'd like to share their thoughts on today's show or future shows. Just go to Trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send a show and choose Standard Orbit. That'll come to both of us by email. You can also use the button on the left-hand side of any page to send us a voicemail using a webcam's microphone, or you can talk to us and our other listeners at our forums at trek.fm forums. In social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com trek.fm, and on Twitter under username trek.fm. Mike, where can people find you out of orbit? You can find me right here on trek.fm doing commentary Trek Stars with Bax, and you can also find me on commentarytrekstars.com, where... I do uh, commentary track stars off topic with Max and Brandon. And you can also find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. You can also find me on Twitter at 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E. And uh, don't forget that you can see us at DragonCon Sunday, August 31st in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. We have an iTunes review that I'd like to read. It's called The Classics by Tar Heel Trek. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That's another college. Yes, North Carolina. Ah. So we've, we've, last week we read something by Big Orange Michael, who we assume is a volunteer. 
and uh, this is a Tar Heel. So we've got you've brought in the sports people. Thanks. I'm I'm impressed. Thanks, and I will Mike. say, whenever I do uh, watch college sports, I always root for North Carolina. That's good. I'm sure Tar Heel Trek appreciates yes. it. I discovered Trek FM podcast about six months ago, and I've been listening religiously ever since. The various shows have quickly become my drive time entertainment of choice. I grew up watching classic Trek and syndication and know almost every episode inside and out, but Standard Orbit still keeps things fresh with lively discussions of the episodes. Well, good. I'm glad that even if you've watched them dozens of times, uh, that we're able to uh, help out. You, you, and, you just help you reappreciate you it. You just know, though, that Tar Heel Trek, you know, was like, oh, what's this week? Oh, aspect ratios. Oh, oh. <laughs> and then he tunes in next week and they're like, what? They're still talking about aspect ratios? Oh. I am not listening to this show ever again. <laughs> but thanks for listening in the past, Tar Heel Trek. We do appreciate it. <laughs> we'll cover more sports later. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring Standard Orbit to you each week. And our sponsor for the show is Audible.com. Audible's a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Audible's the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive Federation and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. Mike, what do you have for everyone? I have a book called Understanding Movies, The Art and History of Film, The Modern Scholar, which was written by Raphael Chargel. And it says, why does the cinema have the power to move the heart, stimulate the mind, and dazzle the imagination? How did the art of film develop from its origins to the present day? This course covers the history and aesthetics of the movies. It traces the experiments and innovations that gave rise to the modern cinema, developing a vocabulary that helps explain the variety of choices filmmakers make when they construct shots and edit them together. Wow, that sounds like every single pretentious film school class I ever <laughs> took in college, and oh my god. Compressed into one. Yes, um, and I'm sure they spent, it's seven hours and nine minutes, I'm sure that at least 2.39 of those hours are spent talking about aspect ratios. And you can listen to this book for free since you're a listener of Trek FM. That's right. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Standard Orbit and Trek FM. Well... Next week, we'll be back to actually talking about the content and not just how it's presented uh, about Star Trek. Boring. So, uh, <laughs> so be sure to tune in. <laughs> but thanks for listening to us this week. Have a good rest of the week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landry. Mr. Chekhov, take us out of orbit. Ahead, walk factor one. Thank you.